Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles's number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and this week we're going to have a special treat for you as I was able to catch up with former USC offensive coordinator Norm Chow, and that interview is coming up later in the show. First, let me bring in my co-host, the former All-Pac-10 defensive lineman for USC and 13-year NFL veteran, Frosty Rucker. Frosty! I know you were on the opposite side of the ball, but any memories or stories you'd like to share about Coach Chow, you know, maybe just from going up against his offenses in practice or anything you want to say about him? Yeah, I mean, what a great guy. He was a leader. He was vocal. He was a blessing, I know personally, to a lot of those quarterbacks that had to be under his tutelage. All I can remember is him just diamond up perfect plays getting the ball in the perfect spot, letting athletes be who they are. And what a brain for the game of football. Yes, and I think everyone is going to enjoy that interview I had with him later in the show. But first, if you enjoy the Believe in USC football podcast, please subscribe and rate our show on iTunes. And you can find us on all of your favorite podcast directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us on the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Frosty, where do they find you on social media? You can find me at The Organic Frost, and that's on Instagram as well as Facebook and Twitter. USC had a short turnaround and a roster riddled with injuries going into Friday night's road game at Colorado, and it nearly turned into a recipe for disaster. After scoring a TD on the first drive in less than a minute, the Trojans then fell into a funk, allowing the Buffaloes to score 17 unanswered points to take control of the game. But one of the strong points of this year's squad is its resiliency, and SC was able to fight its way back and two fourth-quarter touchdown connections between Keaton Slovis and Michael Pittman Jr. kept the hopes alive for a Pac-12 title. Frosty, what can you say about the effort shown to come back and win, especially when things looked pretty dire for most of that game? It showed that they care. You know, they're not just going to lay down and they're going to keep fighting. And that, as a fan, an alum, that's all you can ask for. You want to see these guys fight to the very end. You know, I want to see these coaches coach into the last tick on the clock. And that's what we got. And it's nerve-rattling watching the game because you get all the highs and lows, right? You get the quick score. Oh, we got this one. You know, I went with, uh, we're going to blow this team out, right? And then it just goes completely absent for two quarters. Just crickets. Can't do anything. And then Pittman, which is my MVP, makes the plays we need. And here we are going to dissect a win, an ugly win, but it's a win. It is definitely that. And like I said, Pac-12 title is still within USC's grasp as long as it keeps winning because they're tied in the Pac-12 South with Utah. And they, of course, hold the tiebreaker with the win earlier in the season. And let's talk about that true freshman quarterback, Keaton Slovis. After that first big drive that got everyone excited right off the bat, he went through some struggles, threw an interception, had a couple of three and out drives. But Man, did he finish strong. And you look at the final stats, 30 of 44, 406 yards in the air, four touchdown passes. What a game. I mean, what can you say about how that true freshman just stays in it? And even though it looks at times like, man, it just doesn't seem to be clicking, but he stays in it and keeps fighting all the way through the end. And it turned into a big day for him. Yeah. I mean, classic example of a guy getting an opportunity and making the most of it. These guys come in, they're highly touted. They're forced to play as a true freshman. And look what he's doing with it. Even when it's rocky, you got to give a hats off to the play calling because they get him in rhythm. There's a lot of rhythm plays that go on as he plays the game. And at the end of the day, throwing for over 400 yards, who would have thought that? 
I did. I picked him to be MVP of that game, right? Yeah, you did believe in him. We will get to that. You're going to toot your own horn, I'm Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. I just want to keep rubbing <laughs> it in your face. And you have every right to because you made a good call there. But how about the receivers, though? We've talked often. I've mentioned it all year, even in the preseason preview show. I said that I thought that this wide receiver group could be one of the best in the country. And out of that 406 yards that Slovis threw for, 405 of them went to the wide receivers. I mean, you said, again, Michael Pittman Jr. is your MVP of the year so far for USC, but a big game out of Tyler Vaughn's. The true freshman Drake London had his best game of his young career. Opportunity. And Amon Ross St. Brown kind of doing a little double duty with the lack of running back depth. He was even kind of used as a running back and had that first touchdown on a big 37-yard run to get USC started. And then even Velas Jones got a catch in the game. I mean, the wide receiver core was balling out. Yeah, I mean, they're taking care of business. They're well coached. They look disciplined. And I mean, they go up and get the ball. They got strong hands. They finish well, yards after contact. They can do it all. And I'm really pleased watching that group operate. And they do help that young quarterback with rhythm and timing. And they're making the plays. So hats off to that group as a whole. They definitely carried us through this game. And USC definitely seemed to go away from the run a little bit more, a lot more empty sets with no running back. And again, using Amon Ross St. Brown as a runner a little bit. Keenan Kristen still had 14 carries for 76 yards in the game. A solid effort by the true freshman, but definitely this was more of the true air raid, if you will, than what we've seen out of USC most of the season. Yeah, they finally just let it rip. The mandate was off. Sunroof was down. It was a spooky night and they got after it. And at the end of the day, the yards speak for themselves and the W speaks for itself. It was ugly. It was spooky. People were dressed up. And, you know, I've seen a lot of spooky, crazy looking outfits out there. And that's pretty much how the game went. But we got the win and we got out of Boulder. Yeah. And part of the reason for the game being in such a tenuous position for SC, most of it was the defense had its struggles, especially with the star wide receiver for Colorado that we talked about, LaVisca Chenault Jr. He had a huge game against USC. And then just the edge running, the sloppy tackling by USC, that really cost them for most of the game. And then they finally came through the last five drives by Colorado. They were able to force four punts and then the final turnover on downs. So when they needed to, they did step up and give the offense a chance. But you got to say it was really ugly most of the night for the USC defense. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it was ugly, but they got it done when it mattered. We can sit here and critique. Obviously, I've been critical on making sure and understanding what the direction with the defense was going. And sometimes you do have an off night. Sometimes you go into the office and it's just not your day, but they were resilient enough to find their way at the end. And for these young kids, I'm just glad they got that road win. We needed it. Definitely did. And so how did that affect the Helton Hot Seat Scale poll this week on Twitter? Again, every week I put the poll out there to see how the SC fans are feeling about Coach Clay Helton's hot seat. Using four chili peppers as the scale, at the top, the hottest pepper is the Carolina Reaper. Measuring in at 2.2 million Scoville heat units, the hottest chili pepper in the world. It's followed by the ghost pepper, habanero, and cayenne. So from hottest to less hot, because we know it's a hot seat, so there's got to be some kind of heat. And this week, the results came in a tie. Carolina Reaper and ghost pepper, 40% of the vote. Each habanero and cayenne tying with 10% of the vote. So this week, Carolina Reaper, Ghost Pepper, which as it's been most of the season, have been winning the votes for how hot the hot seat is for Coach Clay Helton. And it's still spicy for Coach Clay Helton. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be spicy for him just because the pulse of everyone that is rooting for this team is they want change. So it's always going to be spicy But as long as he continues to get better and just finish these games off, giving these kids every ounce that he has, he knows how to push them. And no matter what happens, these kids are responding to the coaching. So that's what I look for as an alum. I want to see how they respond. And everyone is waiting to see what happens at the end of this. But coach, just keep coaching. Keep giving these guys the best thing you're doing because it's a walking audition right now. 
your resume is how you inspire these guys to keep playing like you're doing. So just keep at it until you're not our coach. I'm supporting you. Okay. And now we're going to get to my interview with coach Norm Chow. But before we do, let me remind you that if you're enjoying listening to Frosty and I, please subscribe and rate our show on iTunes and find us wherever you can find your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. The website is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Social media is at Believe Podcast. And then on Twitter, I am at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Frosty can be found at The Organic Frost on Twitter and Instagram. It is now my honor to welcome to the Believe in USC football podcast, one of the greatest offensive coaches in college football history, the offensive coordinator for Pete Carroll in USC from 2001 to 2004, Mr. Norm Chow. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you, Coach. And before we talk about USC, let's discuss your new job as the offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Wildcats of the XFL, which is returning in February of 2020 after having lasted one season in 2001 in its previous incarnation. What brought you back to be a part of this league and team? Well, it's just an exciting venture. You know, everything's so new. It's a startup. And I was very happily being a grandpa and a, and a husband and a father. And Winston Moss called the head football coach for this franchise. I, Winston and I obviously had not met, but I certainly knew who he was. And it was an instant connection, and he's a terrific guy, and he's going to be a terrific head coach. And it's just a real exciting venture. We're going to work right down here in Long Beach. I live in the South Bay. So all that put together, hopefully we can make this thing work. It's a startup. It's new. And I think everybody's very excited to get going with it. And uh, we finally have a football team. We drafted 70 players the other uh, a week or so ago. And so it's a fun time. Yeah. And it's nice to see some former USC Trojans on the Wildcats roster. I know you picked up uh, offensive lineman Damian Mama, wide receiver Daquan Hampton, and also another receiver, Jalen Green, who was at USC for four years before he finished his college career as a grad transfer at Utah State. So when do you guys start training camp and practices and all that stuff? Well, there'll be a mini camp in December for all 70, all of the drafted players. There'll be, there's going to be another supplemental draft at the end of the month. So the roster may change just a little bit, but we're going out in December for a little mini camp for a couple of weeks. So you mentioned that you got a call from the head coach and GM of the team, Winston Moss, who played for a decade in the NFL before moving into the coaching ranks. And you had no connection to him, though, prior to this job? None whatsoever. He actually emailed and asked if I had a minute. He was in town on some business and was at a hotel up near Staples, the Staples Center. So we drove up and met with him and he expressed his philosophy, if you will, and what he wanted to get done. And and we talked and, and spoke, and, and it all worked out. And for the fans out there who are interested in being a part of this, what can you tell them? How can they find out more about the Wildcats? Well, it's on the web, xflwildcats.com. They can get in there for tickets. Like I say, it's unique. It's new. And, and they're going to make it very affordable, maybe very family-oriented. I, I understand you get in there for $20 a ticket. You buy a season ticket for $100. And allow families to go, as you know, and you've been to ball games anymore. I mean, it, it costs a fortune just to go and park and have a hot dog to be a professional event. And so this is going to be very affordable and, and hopefully the product will be a good one and one that people will want to enjoy. That's great to hear. And you're definitely right about that. So anything that can bring families out to a football game, considering the prices of the NFL and even college football nowadays, it'll be great to have an affordable option to see football here in Los Angeles. Uh, There's no question about that, no. So my co-host on this USC football podcast is a guy who played for USC when you were coaching there, Frosty Rucker. Unfortunately, he's unable to join us for this segment. But do you have any memories of him from his playing days at USC that you can share? You want ones that I can share or just say the good things? No. <laughs> he was a terrific young man. He is a terrific young man. He played awfully well. And you're sure proud when people like that, uh, young men like that, go on and have good careers and become good people. And 
with human beings and family members and all that kind of stuff. So it was fun to see. Uh, we obviously had him at a time when he was younger and just getting his the feel for football, if you will, and good college football. He played awfully well for us. And it's awfully nice to see a young man like that have so much success. Congratulations to him. I will definitely let him know that. And so let's go back to your time as an assistant when you helped the Trojans win two national championships and both Carson Palmer and Matt Liner to win the Heisman Trophy. And Frosty would like to know, what was your favorite part about the team when you were coaching there? Well, you know what it was, and I'll be very candid when I say this, we had awfully good players. But what made it a very special time was that they were awfully good young people. They were fun to be around. They were fun to coach. They worked hard. You know, they didn't have the little petty jealousies, if you will, sometimes that goes along with, with having so much success in a locker room. Emotionally, they were they were just very mature about it all, and they came to work every day. Sure, they were the stars, you know, the Carsons and the Liners and the Bushes and all that, but there were others, the linemen and, and those that maybe didn't get as much notoriety that made it a complete football team, and it was just fun to be around those types of young men and with the success that they had. Pete did a great job of getting them emotionally ready for every contest because, as you you know, when you're playing on top, it's not easy because everybody's always you, you're taking everybody's best shot, and uh, that happened every week. And our guys hung in there, so it was a fun time because of the young people that were involved. And with this year's Trojan team, how much have you been able to see, and what are your thoughts about how USC is doing? I try to follow it a little bit. I'm uh, more of a score watcher, I guess, than a game watcher. When you enroll or when you take a job at USC, uh, you understand what you're doing. You understand what you're getting into. The expectation is so high, but you know that. And that's what makes it exciting. And sometimes I get a little tired of hearing, you know, get rid of the coach, get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy, let's do this. People don't understand how difficult a situation that is because it's such a high-profile program. I went to a game last year, one of the two that I've been to, and that was the day they had that crazy airplane flying around, say, fire coach Elton or whatever, whatever. That, that's nonsense to me. You know, support your school, and, and they're doing well, they're playing well. I don't quite get the we're awfully young bit. You get that reasoning too much, so I think, oh, why? Why are you so young? What were you doing four years ago when you are supposed to be recruiting to make it so that you're not young? Or maybe if you weren't coaching and you took a job after that, then why didn't you fill in the blanks? You know, go after some older guys, if you will. So other than that, I think they're doing well. You know, both USC and UCLA, you know, obviously they have to wait for a new boss to come into town and then we'll see how that coaching business goes. Yeah, one of the big storylines this season has been Coach Clay Helton's job status. And when you were the head coach at the University of Hawaii, how did you deal with that chatter among the fans and the media and all the news and rumors that surrounded you when you were there? Well, you control, and, and Clay has said that I've read that about him several times, you can control. It's unfortunate that things happen the way they do, but you know, all you can do is coach your guys and recruit good players and play hard and win ball games. That's all you can do. And people are not right when they say, oh, we don't hear it, we don't hear it. You hear it. But you don't pay any attention to it. That doesn't do the best you can and what you can control. It. I think they're doing a good job of that. They're playing well. You know, it's kind of crazy sometimes the up and down. Beat Utah and then get beat by BYU or whatever. But other than that, that's all you can do. And just go play football. And I think they're doing a good job of that. Yeah, you're right. That is one of the things that drives USC fans nuts, the inconsistent nature of this team. But as someone who's coached some of the greatest quarterbacks in college history, guys like Jim McMahon and Steve Young, and three Heisman winning QBs in Palmer, Leinert, and Ty Detmer when you were at BYU. What do you think about USC's true freshman quarterback, Keaton Slovis? I think he's pretty good. But again, back in the day, you didn't play a freshman because you did a nice job putting your program together where you, your freshman paid his dues and sat around for a year or two before he was able and matured and grew a little bit with the program. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that they've had to play these guys. You know, even JT Daniels was young when they put him into the ball game. So, I, you know, once you get that figured out, I mean, you know, Liner only played for a couple of years, right? And, and Carson, you know, only, only really came around his last couple of years because it takes a while. Every program, every football team is quarterback driven. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance, whether you're in junior high or in the NFL. For the most part, there's obviously exceptions, but for the most part, those guys have sat around, they've learned, they've sat in meetings, they've sat with their coaches, and then they were ready, and then they took it over and played very well. But long answer to your short question, I think this young man is playing awfully well. 
I really do. He's mature and he, he seems to know what he's doing. The stuff that I have seen, I think he's very good. Now, I didn't see when he got hurt. I didn't see the other guy, but uh, this young one that you're speaking about, I think has a great opportunity to be very, very good football player. And yes, I completely agree with you, coach, about freshmen not playing right away, although that seems to be the new trend with a lot of kids getting the playing time in high school. They want to jump in and play right away or they're going to transfer and coaches feel afraid about losing guys to the transfer protocol and they feel the need to play guys right away. But I agree with you. I think when you get a chance to season yourself a little bit, go through practices, learn from upperclassmen, it usually turns out better for the quarterback in the long run. There's no question about that. USC's opponent this weekend, the Oregon Ducks, have a pretty potent offense led by quarterback Justin Herbert, who many believe could be the best QB prospect in the upcoming 2020 NFL draft. What do you think about Herbert's ability and potential? I don't know too much. I watched him on television, and he's the perfect example of what we're talking about. He turned down the NFL last year, did he? Yep. He could have come out in the draft and decided he needed more time and he wanted to enjoy college football. So I, I think that's the perfect example. It'll be interesting to see how the opposing quarterbacks handle their situations on Saturday. And do you have any prediction you want to throw out there about how USC is going to do against Oregon or just even for the rest of the season as they still try and make that run to win a Pac-12 title? I think they're doing a good job, and I think Clay's doing a good enough job that they'll be right in there in the fight. I, I'm bad at predictions. I, I don't do those because <laughs> I'm always wrong, but I think it'll be a heck college football game, and that's what it should be about. Enjoying college football, enjoying these young people, let them work as hard as they can, and enjoy the experience. But I think USC will be there at the end. There's no question about it. I think they're going to control their own destiny. I'll tell you this, so it makes it nice because they got past Utah, and, and Utah is playing awfully well as well. Yep. SC can control its own way. If they can win out, they will play in the Pac-12 championship. And again, the Ducks are also leaders of the Pac-12 North right now, undefeated in conference. So we shall see how that all turns out. And today we are recording this on a Tuesday. This is Nara Wang of the Believe in USC Football Podcast with special guest Norm Chow, the new offensive coordinator for the XFL's Los Angeles Wildcats. And of course, a longtime college coach, including the offensive coordinator for a couple of national championship teams at USC in the early 2000s. So the NCAA today, the Board of Governors passed a proposal that's going to start the process to allow student athletes to possibly earn money off of their name, image, and likeness. The statement that they put out is still kind of vague, in my opinion. There's not a lot of meet there just basically sounds like they're going to really immediately start to look at changing their policies. And this is probably driven some by the California Senate bill that Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law earlier this year that's going to take effect in 2023. There's also a bill in the state of Florida that is looking to possibly take effect as early as next year. So coach, how do you feel about student athletes getting a chance to earn some money besides their scholarship, besides any stipends, but earning money from their own name, image, and likeness? Well, that's a good question. I think your description of the NCAA vague describes the NCAA. I mean, whenever they come out with something, there's always more questions than answers. But I've always believed that if there's one thing that people have asked, what is the one thing you do to work with college football? And I always tell them, I believe the players should get paid. I mean, yes, they're on scholarship and yes, they get a little stipend, but you know, they don't get a chance to work in the summer because they're working out and all that kind of stuff. And they like to go to the movie and they like to go out on a date. They like to do some fun things that college kids get to do. And, and oftentimes they don't have the money to do those kind of things. Their college education is paid and, and, and they should be very grateful for that. But you know, when you see the millions of dollars that the universities are making and the millions and millions of dollars that coaches are being paid to coach these young people, they are the ones that have to go on the field every Saturday. They're the ones that are on the field for people to see. Yes, I think it's good that they are looking into that. And yes, I firmly believe that some of these young people should get paid. And, you know, they're not going to get wealthy, but at least you make enough money so they can enjoy their college experience. I do believe that. And I'm glad they're doing that. And I, I was glad when Governor Newsom passed that bill. It's really great to hear that coming from you, a coach who's been in the system. I think a lot of people would agree with you that changes need to be made. 
And at least this is progress. Like you said, I, I'm one of the biggest critics of the NCAA when it comes to a lot of their rules and policies. And like I mentioned, and like you said, they always seem to be very vague in what they announce, but at least this, you can consider it as progress. Well, I agree with you. So before we let you go, I do have one more question from Frosty <laughs> and he wants to know what can young coaches learn from coaches like yourself who have coached at a championship caliber level? Well, you know, they kind of say those things. I, I just think hard work, the same principles that you learn along the way when being an athlete, the same principles that you teach your children, just to work hard, keep your nose to the stone. And there's too many young coaches, I think, they're always looking for that next job. You know what I mean? Well, maybe next time I'll be the coordinator. Maybe next time I'll be in the NFL or whatever, whatever. I think the key is just to work hard and keep your nose clean and be an example to these young people, teach life's lessons along the way and, and enjoy the experience, enjoy the ride and enjoy where you're at with this coaching. Whether you're coaching in junior high or in the NFL, it's just coaching. You know, the scheme, no one's invented football. Everybody copies everywhere else as far as schemes are concerned. But just take the responsibility to make sure you do, you're teaching proper technique and proper principles. Uh, principles of hard work and, and teamwork and leadership, those kind of things, and enjoy it. It's a fun business. Well, Coach, you've been in it for a long time. You've got plenty of knowledge to impart, and we look forward to seeing it with the new XFL team. And I've got to say, it's been a privilege to have Norm Chow join us for the Believe in USC football podcast this week. Coach, best of luck to you and the LA Wildcats in the upcoming XFL season. To find out more about the team, go to their website, xflwildcats.com. And we look forward to seeing it start up in February. Well, thank you. And thank you, Nara. Thank you for having me. Give my best to Frosty. He was always one of my favorites. Awesome. I will do that. Thank you, Coach Chow. If you enjoyed that interview with Coach Norm Chow and the show that we are doing, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes and wherever you can find your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And the website, of course, is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media, at Believe Podcasts. On Twitter, you can find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. For Frosty, he's on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at The Organic Frost. And I am back with... My co-host, Frosty Rucker. So Frosty, Coach Norm Chow was very candid, very honest with his opinions. It was a great interview. It's too bad you weren't able to make it. But of course, he did have some nice things to say about you. Well, first of all, Coach Chow's a gentleman. That right there, he's a gentleman, a man of God, and a leader. What he was able to do with our quarterbacks in his short tenure, because it should have been longer, in my opinion, with those guys and what he did with our offense and grooming Steve Sarkeesian, grooming Lane Kiffin. He did a phenomenal job being a leader. And Pete Carroll picked the most perfect offensive coordinator for our team. And just look what he did. Look what he did with Reggie, Lindell, uh, Dwayne Jarrett, Mike Williams, Kerry Colbert. Look what he did with these guys. He made them all superstars, but at the same time, they were winning Heismans. They were winning the most prize awards under his tutelage. That speaks volumes to me. So, Thanks, Norm, for the kind words. Love you, man. Can't wait to see you again. And fight on always. Great interview. Getting to have a legend on and spit some game to you and take you down a little memory lane with some things and school you up. That never hurts, right? Never does. So let me broach one of the subjects that we talked about with Coach Chow with you, Frosty. The NCAA today announcing their board of governors that they are going to start the process to give student athletes a chance to possibly benefit from their name, image, and likeness. Again, this is a move that many consider long overdue. It's been spurred by the actions of several state governments, including California, where Governor Gavin Newsom signed Senate Bill 206 into law that's supposed to take effect in 2023 that will allow student athletes to profit and earn money from their name, image, and likeness. There's a bill that's going through Florida's legislature as well that's supposed to take place as soon as 2020. And again, with the NCAA, 
There's never any kind of solid foundational things. It's a very kind of vague statement that says they're just going to kind of look into the possible ability to let student athletes enhance their college experience by using their name, image, and likeness for other opportunities. There's some key points they bring out saying that the modernization of the future is a natural extension of the steps that the NCAA members have taken to improve things for student athletes over recent years. And they said that this should follow the following principles and guidelines. So I'm going to quote from their statement now. It says, it should assure student athletes are treated similarly to non-athlete students unless a compelling reason exists to differentiate. Maintain the priorities of education and the collegiate experience to provide opportunities for student-athlete success. Ensure rules are transparent, focused, and enforceable, and facilitate fair and balanced competition. Make clear the distinction between collegiate and professional opportunities. Make clear that compensation for athletics performance or participation is impermissible. Reaffirm that student-athletes are students first and not employees of the university. Enhance principles of diversity, inclusion, and gender equity and protect the recruiting environment and prohibit inducements to select, remain at, or transfer to a specific institution. So again, what does that all mean? It sounds like they're just trying to get something to fit their model while at the same time trying to say that they're going to modernize the college model. Exactly, Frosty, I think it's progress that they're being forced to put out a statement like this and say that they're going to look and start the process, but there's nothing concrete there. There's nothing that it seems to be different from what they've been saying before about what you're allowed and not allowed to do as a student athlete. Right. And I don't like them making the rules when they, they don't do the day-to-day student athlete job. I'd like to say it is progress and let's all have a round of applause for that. I do think they're going to still take care of NCAA first and make sure how they make their money before they figure out how the athletes do. It's about time. Let's just say it that way. It's about time the conversation has gotten to the point where they have to say a quote like that. It's vague. It's not very descriptive. It's not telling us this is how we're going to do it. This is the plan because I still think there's a whole bunch behind the closed doors that they got to figure out. You know, someone's going to get cussed out, (laughs) but it's here now. They got to deal with it. And that's the beauty of where things are going right now. Yes. So hopefully we will see more out of the NCAA that's going to actually lead to real progress for real student athletes. And again, uh, we talked about this when the Senate bill passed, when I had special guest co-host Marcus Grant of the NFL Network on. We spoke about the ramifications of that bill passing, and we both thought that, hey, maybe this is going to spur some action from a notoriously laggard organization like the NCAA. And it looks like it has. We're just going to have to wait and see what kind of progress comes out of this. So now let us turn to preview the game that's coming up this weekend. A big one. Huge. That's going to be in prime time on Saturday. The AP number seven and coaches poll number eight team in the country. Oregon Ducks come to town and it's going to be at five o'clock on Fox and also on the radio as always on 790 AM locally. If you want to catch the game that way, Oregon the leaders of the Pac-12, 7-1 and overall, 5-0, and undefeated in conference, coming off a scary win of their own, 37-35 at home against Washington State, but it kept a winning streak alive. They have a seven-game winning streak since losing in their season opener against Auburn out in Arlington, Texas at AT&T Stadium, the Cowboys Palace out there. So... The two leaders of the Pac-12 North and Pac-12 South division facing up in a primetime matchup. What can we expect to see from Oregon? Well, we know they're talented. On the offensive side, they've got a Heisman Trophy candidate, a possible number one overall NFL draft pick in quarterback Justin Herbert. And then last week, the guy who saved their behinds really against Washington State, running back C.J. Verdell, who... Went bananas. He went over 250 yards rushing. Baller. He went complete baller. Over 50 yards receiving. He's the first guy to do that in one game. Since who? In the conference. Since who? Since a guy by the name of Reggie Bush. Since before it was the Pac-12. Back in 2005, everyone remembers that game against Fresno State. 
when Reggie Bush went off. Imagine being in that same company as Reggie and a stat or the significance behind a game that you had. Just imagine that. It's high company. And the last two guys to do that in college, it was in 2016, a guy named Joe Mixon and a guy named Dalvin Cook. And they're doing it on Sundays. <laughs> two guys who are making some money in the NFL Big money. right now on Sundays. So CJ Verdell in exalted company with that game that he put up against Washington State last week. They've also got a really talented wide receiver core, kind of like USC. There's a bunch of guys, maybe not one standout or two standouts that USC maybe can throw out there, but a good squad, Jalen Red and Michael Pittman Jr.'s younger brother, Micah right. Pittman, who was injured to begin the season, but he's gotten to play in the last couple of weeks and is coming on. And I want you to talk about this. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the country, led by the left tackle, Panay Sewell. He's a big reason why Justin Herbert's able to do what he can do, protecting the blind side. And that's why you were talking about a team that's 25th in the country in total offense at 466 yards a game. They're tied for 24th in scoring offense, scoring 36 points a game. It's going to be a tough test for a USC defense that really is coming off a game where they got shredded. Oh, I think they respond. They know what's at stake. They don't want to get blown out, especially at home. They know who's coming in town and they'll show up. I think they'll respond. And that's been the temperature of this team. It's like a bit of a roller coaster. You know, it's a bit of a six flats or not Berry farm. I didn't say they're going to win. We'll get to that. Before you ask, I just say they're going to play better and it's going to be a tight game. And it's going to come down to who makes the most plays. And I mean, Oregon makes plays. Yeah. Oregon is a team that has been making big plays. They score a lot of their touchdowns quick as well. In under three minutes, they have a lot of TD drives with big plays. And that's been a problem for USC over the past couple of seasons, giving up big plays to opposing teams. And Justin Herbert's only thrown one interception all season against a tough Cal secondary. We're going to need the USC DBs that it's a banged up group, but it's going to be a tough test for USC. Yeah, very tough. Now on the other side of the ball, they might be even better <laughs> on defense than they are on offense, if you can imagine that. And that's the scary part. That's the scary part. That is the scary part. Ninth in the country in scoring defense, giving up just under 15 points average per game. They've held every one of their opponents under the team's scoring average. 20th in total defense at just over 308 yards a game. They lead the nation with 14 interceptions as a team. Their star linebacker, the team leader, the senior, Troy Dye, missed last week's game against Washington State. That might have been why they had some issues. He had a broken thumb from the previous game against Washington, but he's expected to come back and play against USC. They've got a sophomore DB in Javon Holland, who has nine career picks already. He's the active leader among Pac-12 players in that category. And they got the number one recruit in the country by many people's estimation, the defensive end, Kayvon Thibodeau. SE wanted him, Alabama, and everyone wanted the kid. I remember that name. Oregon got him. So they've got some guys on defense who can play as well. How does the USC offense, which again is still banged up, we don't know if Stephen Carr is going to be back. It looks like Keenan Christen's going to, again, get the bulk of the carries. And maybe they're going to be using Amon Ross St. Brown as more of a runner, as they showed against Colorado. How can USC's offense do anything against this tough Oregon D? The run offense has to work. It's going to keep the defense on its heels. And to me, the biggest thing that I'm going to watch is the guys that really want to go make some money. I know our receivers have to be licking their chomps after leading their division in receiving as a receiving group, right? They're the best receiving group in their division right now. They're going versus a hungry defense and a hungry secondary. Who wants to make some money? I want to see that. It's going to come down to who wants it. And the ball is going to be in the air too. So if we can run the ball and keep them balanced, double moves, sluggos, the slants, they're going to work if we can run the ball. We have to run the ball. This is, of course, the matchup of the division leaders. Like I mentioned, 5-0 Oregon in the conference, USC 4-1. So we could actually be the first game of a possible rematch in the Pac-12 title game if things work out. But for USC, they definitely have to win out. Oregon being undefeated maybe has a little wiggle room there. And the other interesting twist, of course, is that this is the first time that SC and Oregon have faced up since 2016 because of the way the Pac-12 schedule works, where USC plays Oregon State and Washington State for two years, home and home, 
And then they flip over and play Oregon and Washington for two years, home and home. So they haven't seen Justin Herbert since he was a true freshman in 2016, where he struggled a bit against USC. And SC's recent past against Oregon has not been great. They've lost for the last six meetings, but they did win that game at home in 2016 when Ronald Jones went crazy with four touchdowns. Ooh, he was good. So it's hard to say because you haven't seen a team in a couple of years exactly how you match up. How is that different studying for a team when you haven't played them in the last couple of years? I mean, they got the film. They know what Oregon's all about. They're all over TV. They're all over the Pac-12 network. They're everywhere. They're not going to run from it. Oregon's coming to town, and they're the big bag ducks right now. I want to see the Trojans compete. I want to see them stand toe-to-toe. They did it when they played versus Notre Dame. They can play with these people. They got to believe in it. I do have one more thing that I feel is kind of an interesting thing about this. Obviously, Oregon is coming off a game against Washington State, Mike Leach, the air raid offense. And now they're going to face another air raid offense. Granted, Graham Harrell's offense is a little more modified with more running than Mike Leach's true air raid offense is. But who does that benefit, Oregon or USC, the fact that they are seeing the same type of offense in back-to-back weeks? Oregon. I just like Oregon just because their home run ability and they're not afraid of it. They know who they are. And while we're still figuring our stuff out, scrapping games together, Oregon's playing solid games, balanced games and making big plays. So I think it's in Oregon's favor. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think if you've seen it some, especially when you had some issues with it, you can kind of go into the film and correct yourself in the week to prepare. So we'll see how that turns out. And again, it's not quite the same offense, but a lot of the principles are the same. And we'll see if, like you mentioned, USC can establish a ground game. And that way, it's not going to just be trying to attack them through the air the entire way. And of course, we're having a fun time doing the show. We hope you're enjoying it, listening to us. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. The website, of course, where you can find us is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. The social media is at Believe Podcast. Find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. And Frosty, where do they find you? At The Organic Frost and... I'm welcoming all questions. I sit around and I just check my phone and wait for these questions. So come on, Believe family. Let's hear it. At The Organic Frost. Yeah. Hit us up. If you have questions, comments, something you want to hear about on the show, let us know. And now it is time for the always fun, always entertaining segment that we do on the predictions for the game. Let's recap last week's predictions First, the players that we believed in last week. I went with the defensive guy, Kanai Mauga. He had eight tackles, seven of them solo, and one of the tackles was for a loss. So he was solid, not as good as he was the week before. Frosty, we already mentioned it. You went with the quarterback, Keaton Slovis. He blew up. He had a big game. You win that prediction, for sure. Uh, Yeah. In our game score... I, of course, predicted a Colorado upset, 30-24. You thought USC was going to win in a blowout, 40-10. to The actual score was, of course, USC 35-31, having to come back despite being a 13.5-point favorite on the road. So, Frosty, I think we're going to have to call that one a tie. I'll take a tie. Because you did pick the correct team to win, but you had it as a huge score. I didn't pick the right team to win, but... By some people's measures in the state of Nevada and other places where gambling is legal, I was a winner. So I think we have to call that one a tie. I'll take a tie. That's fair. It's not a loss. (laughs) Anything over a loss is good in my books, bud. (laughs) And then on our prop bet segment, Frosty's cold hard truth was that there would be a kickoff return for a touchdown in the game. There were none. There were barely any kickoff returns. I think you forgot about the altitude in Colorado affecting the kickoffs. So not a lot of returns in the game. I said that USC would commit at least eight penalties. Thankfully, I was wrong. They only committed five. So they did better in that regard. So neither of us get that again. On the season so far between us, we are tied. I've got two wins. You've got two wins. We've tied twice. So right now it's two, two, and two on our season-long prediction tracker. And of course, uh, we've already discussed this. We're going to have 
the loser of the predictions race is going to be buying some concessions at a USC basketball game later on. So we'll see how that turns out. So now it's time to turn to the predictions for this week's game, USC against Oregon. Players that we believe in. I'm going to go first this week with my player that I believe in. I'm going to go with one of those wide receivers on USC's squad. It's going to be Amon Ross St. Brown is the player that I believe in this week for USC. I think they are going to incorporate him more into the running game. He did have a big game on the ground on just three carries. He had 50 yards, including that touchdown run to start off the first drive for USC. So I think they're going to try and work some more runs for St. Brown and also get him involved in some of the passing game as well. So the player I believe in, Amon Ra St. Brown. Who you got, Frosty? Well, you know, I'm good with having groups, right? I pick groups. So I'm going to go with the receiving corp just because they're going to go toe-to-toe with the best secondary in the Pac-12. I said it here, and I'll say it again. Oregon has the best secondary, and USC, if those guys want to make money on Sundays, they need to go at them. I know the ball will be in a perfect spot because my man never lets me down, and I want to see them go toe-to-toe with the best secondary in the Pac-12. Okay, so you are going to go with the entire wide receiver group. Basically, what you're saying is that unless I'm on Ross St. Brown is the best of the group, there's no chance I got it winning this. Is that what you're trying to do? Well, I'm trying to squeeze you in a little bit because I do groups and, <laughs> you know, you want to go specifically a person in the group and that's okay. So how this wager will work is if he leads in receiving or touchdowns, then he wins. But if the group as a whole has a better day than the secondary of Oregon, I win. All right. That's fair enough. Is it clear though? It's clear though, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's clear. Okay. I got gotcha. you. We're all good. And I'm going to let you go first now to pick the game score for this week. Who do you have winning and what is the score going to be? Well, I always pick USC and, you know, this is a, (laughs) this is a tough one. Oregon is really good. I feel like Oregon's better than Notre Dame and how that game went toe to toe and Notre Dame was up and then we came back. I don't think we can battle back as strongly as that. I'm trying to tread lightly because I'm a big SE guy, right? Like, real big. I love them. I'm going to go with Oregon winning the game, and it hurts me to say it, but, you know, you want it to be honest. Oregon winning the game, and I think they pull away because we won't be as strong in defense in the secondary. And that's not a knock at anyone. I just think Oregon's big play ability, getting the ball and scoring and not trading field goals, but they score touchdowns, is going to be the difference here. And I'm going high-scoring game for Oregon. I think Oregon gets to 40 points and with USC coming in at 20. All right, so you are going against everything in the fiber of your being, and you have to pick Oregon this week, and you're saying it's going to be 40-20 Oregon. Yeah, and, and it's tough for me to say because I do think the defense will make it a game, but when you can't stop the big plays and this team is built on big plays, it's a no-brainer for me. I think Oregon wins, and I don't like saying it, but they got the big playability versus our lack to stop them. I think, unfortunately, once again, I am actually going to be following what you are saying here. I wasn't <laughs> sure if you were going to go this way. That's a good one. But here's the deal. USC, when I've picked against them this season, and I've picked against them, amazingly, five times already, they actually have a winning record. They're three and two so far when I pick against them because they won against Stanford, they won against Utah, and they won last week against Colorado. They've lost against Washington and Notre Dame. So honestly, USC fans, you can come at me, but for the most part, SC has proven me wrong. And I, like I say every week, I want them to prove me wrong. So let's see if they can do it again. I also think it's going to be a high scoring affair out at the Coliseum on Saturday night. I am going with Oregon winning. Yes, I know. I'm picking against USC again. I know. And I actually think it's going to be a little bit closer than you. I think it's going to be 45 to 30 for Oregon. So a very high scoring game. But I think USC keeps it a little bit closer. Now, USC is just a five point underdog. So both of us have Oregon covering. So that's not going to be an issue this week. No, that's not going to that's not going to be an issue. We're both picking the same team. We're both picking big margins of victory. So it's really going to come down to who's closer to the score, I think, 
unless USC wins. And then we're both wrong. And I think we'll both be happy to take the L on that if USC can pull off the upset. Yeah, I'm, I'm real cool with that L. Yeah, for sure. So neither of us are happy about it, but we are both going Oregon with a high scoring game. And now it is time for the prop bet segment where we pick something that doesn't have to do with the game score, doesn't have to do with a player necessarily. It's just something that we think is guaranteed to happen in the game. We haven't been really good with our guarantees, but it doesn't matter. We keep trying and we keep throwing it out there. And as we always mention, if you bet on what we say, we are not responsible. That is your money. You do with it what you want. We have no issues with what you do. Just don't come at us with, hey, I blame you with that. Okay? So, Frosty, let me hear you. What is Frosty's cold hard truth this week? Frosty's cold hard truth this week versus Oregon is our wide receivers will outplay their wide receivers in this game. They're big play wide receivers that will do well, but our guys are going to go out there and make money and know that's the best secondary they're going to play this year. And this is the time to prove what they're all about to play on Sundays. Okay. Frosty's cold, hard truth. You're sticking with those wide receivers. You're going to say that USC's wide receivers outplay the Oregon wide receivers. So you're basically betting on our defense being slightly better than their defense in terms of defending the wide receivers. Yeah, true. All right. So for me, Nara's no doubter of the week. Again, there's a reason why I'm picking Oregon. I think they're going to go at least 500 yards of total offense in this game. So Nara's no doubter for this week's game is that Oregon has 500 plus yards of total offense going above even their season average, which is 25th in the nation. And I think that's why SC just isn't going to be able to keep up in the scoring column against the Ducks this weekend. So let's recap our predictions for this week. The players that we believe in, I am going with the sophomore wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown. Frosty is taking the entire wide receiver group as a whole. So that'll be interesting to see how that little dynamic plays out for our predictions. In terms of the game score, we are both begrudgingly picking against USC. Frosty's going Oregon 40-20. I've got Oregon 45-30. And in our prop bet segment, Nara's no doubter is that Oregon has 500 yards or more of total offense. While Frosty's cold, hard truth is that USC's wide receivers will outplay Oregon's wide receivers. All right, Frosty, any final thoughts for this week's show? I just like the guys go out there and play as hard as they can. And just remember, it's bigger than them. There's people that are rooting for them. There's family members that are proud of them. There's alumni that are proud of them. Keep playing, keep fighting on, and... We'll stack them up at the end of it. That sounds good. So for Frosty Rucker and special guest coach Norm Chow, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 10 of the USC football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe And even though neither of us are believing in a USC win this week, we are sure hoping for it. And remember to always fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.